The fourweekmba.com is a leading resource of business insights. Top business schools around the world reference to it as the go-to place for business insights. Now it's podcast. Digital business models will break down for you how tech companies make money, what value propositions they offer, why they are successful, and what they're doing next. From Amazon, Google, Facebook, and many others, the Digital Business Models Podcast will give you the top business education you need to understand the digital business world. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or wanting to be an entrepreneur, the Digital Business Models Podcast is your go-to place for your business education. Today, I have the pleasure to have with us Nick Johnson. Uh, Nick Johnson is the co-author of uh, the best-selling book, Modern Monopolies, which is a book uh, uh, which is incredible because it helps you understand the business model that is sort of dominating today's uh, business world, which we're going to be looking at it. Uh, and um, so I just would like to start uh, from you uh, on your side, Nick, just to understand. Um, first of all, thank you for joining me, but uh, I'd love to understand how did you uh, get uh, to study uh, business modeling and the platform business model, which is the main topic of your book. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, my background before uh, I joined the company, I'm at now Applico, uh, and Alex, our CEO, was also my co-author on the book. Uh, I worked at an economics think tank for several years, and uh, Alex was working at a running Applico, and they were doing a lot of app development and started to see that they were working with large enterprises, uh, Applico was, as well as big tech companies, the uh, Googles and so on of the world, and starting to understand that the way these companies were using technology uh, was very different from some of the kind of more traditional companies and started to formulate what uh, eventually came to be our understanding of this platform business model and thought that it made sense. Uh, we saw that business model as the, the kind of future uh, business model of the 21st century increasingly becoming dominant, so decided to focus Applico, uh, particularly on creating platform businesses or helping our clients sort of create and launch platform businesses. And I joined about five years ago, uh, essentially with the goal of shifting the company, helping shift the company in that direction. Uh, out of the first couple of years of work on kind of understanding these platform models and how they work, which no one had really kind of broken down uh, systematically, there's some academic writing uh, on platforms or multi-sided platforms, as they sometimes get called. Uh, but no one had really gone in in a practical sense and kind of broken down, how do these businesses work? What do they do? How do you kind of understand how to build them? Uh, so we kind of built a process around that, which is uh, the kind of work that we do with clients is sort of helping run through that process and help them launch new businesses. Uh, and out of that work came the book, Modern Monopolies, uh, which essentially lays out the blueprint for this platform model why it's been kind of the secret sauce of a lot of the big tech companies for the last 20, 30 years, uh, and then how it's starting to make its way into some more traditional industries, everything from uh, B2B distribution, finance, healthcare, and industries that haven't undergone a, a tremendous amount of change uh, over the last you know, 20, 50 years compared to some other, the, the more recent industries like media and content, for example, in retail. Uh, but you're starting to see these platform models come into more and more of these industries. And essentially at Africa, we help uh, large companies that are competing with some of these big tech monopolies figure out how they launch their own businesses, their own platform businesses, uh, and scale them up. Interesting. And uh, 
before we get to the you know definition of platform business model um, in the past uh, you would actually uh, build a su successful company by a sort of controlling uh, the supply chain and that's how you actually created a competitive advantage and uh, from your study from your research actually uh, it turns out that's not the way it works anymore uh, what has changed i mean now is the business world changed and uh, uh, the business model world uh, changed so far Right. So th this platform model uh, that we focus on and that the book is about is really about rather than kind of owning the underlying supply chain and all the supply and having that sit on your balance sheet, really just facilitating transactions and interactions between some kind of third party consumer uh, and then the other side of third party producer, someone who's creating value, whether that's selling a product or a service or creating content or an app. Uh, a lot of different permutations of this model. At the core, it's really about facilitating transactions and network. And what you've started to see over the last uh, you know, 20 plus years is that this network model, and particularly aided by uh, you know, things like mobile phones and the rise of kind of more connected technology, has become more dominant. Uh, part of the, the value of it is that at scale, they tend to have winner-take-all effects driven by kind of strong network effects. Uh, between the consumer and the producer sides of that network. So you, rather than a traditional business where you tend to reach a certain kind of scale and then due to sort of complexity, uh, you kind of cap out the size of that business. Otherwise, you start to run into diseconomies of scale. These platform businesses essentially have unlimited economies of scale and are able to basically expand to uh, you know, the total size of the market. Uh, which is why you tend to have kind of winner-take-all or winner-take-most markets when platforms start to enter, where you typically have uh, kind of one or two uh, big winners in a market, and very rarely do you have kind of a third uh, big platform that operates successfully. Yep, and um, so the main difference so uh, is between like a linear business model, which was the business model of the past, and the, the platform business model, which is the business model of uh, uh, that dominates uh, today's marketplace. And there is another interesting point that, uh, you know, uh, your research uh, uh, points out uh, in, in the book, which is um, with the, with the um, platform business model, as you said, you can, uh, the economy of scale, as you scale, you, you're able to capture higher and higher portion of the, the market. While with the linear business model, this is not possible because there is a point where uh, the economy of scale, actually, it becomes inefficient Right. Um, what happens exactly? Uh, well, I think when you, you've seen this a number of times where businesses, uh, traditional businesses get too large, they have too many different lines of business and the economies of scale kind of, uh, uh, you know, peter out as you reach a certain size and it really becomes about the, the coordination cost, uh, essentially of managing that business uh, starts to exceed the benefits of continuing to scale in that fashion. Whereas in the platform model, you're not owning all the assets, so you're really just providing the, the means of connection rather than kind of the means of production. Uh, and that's a much more scalable model, asset light, and you're able to connect a lot more than you're able to control directly. You really just kind of have to set the, the rules of the playing field and then enable the parties to interact, which is why you see a company like uh, an Airbnb, for example, having more rooms uh, on it's platform than any, any kind of hotel company, uh, even though it doesn't actually have rooms that it owns itself. Yep. So, and um, another interesting point, uh, I, I think, is also about uh, sort of the misuse of the term uh, platform, because 
right. as, as you see also in the book, um, when today when you use term platform, of course, uh, this is going to improve, it's going to actually enhance the valuation of, of, of a company because it implies that it has uh, uh, better scalability. But uh, then what's really the definition of platform and what are, uh, in your work, what did you notice are some of the misuses that uh, companies make when it comes to platform business models? Great question. So when we talk about platforms, uh, that definitely that distinction between technology and business model is a key one. A lot of people, when they think about tech companies and these platform businesses, think, oh, they're, they're technology companies, so it's the technology that's the differentiator. Uh, the technology at a certain point uh, becomes a kind of a commodity, and that's not a sustainable advantage in and of itself. It's really about what these companies do with the technology. And it's the, so this platform model is one where you have kind of multi, a multi-sided network and you're facilitating transactions, whereas the, the kind of tech company uh, model where you just create software and sell it on, eventually someone else is going to create that similar kind of software, better, faster, or cheaper than you are. And that's, that becomes hard to have that as a defensible advantage, whereas these networks uh, are much harder to replicate. And as you get more and more kind of scale and market power, they become much more defensible. And uh, there is another argument uh, which I think it's also important uh, that, you know, as, uh, as uh, companies uh, try to emulate uh, like platform business models, they get uh, confused and they try to do like probably too many things at once. But in the book, you actually point out that there is a key element of any platform business model, which is the, the core uh, transaction. What's that and why is that so important for a platform business model to work out? So the core transaction essentially is that repeatable interaction between that consumer and that producer uh, that you want to happen over and over. It's kind of the engine of the platform business. And you've got to have essentially four steps to that transaction. One is where the you're getting the inventory into the platform, which we call kind of the create step. Uh, two, you have to have the, the consumer be able to connect to that inventory, that value in some way. They have to be able to consume it, obviously. So if that's you know a video on YouTube, you have to be able to watch it. If you're ordering an Uber, uh, you have to be able to order the car. And then there's a compensate step where they've been given some kind of value by that producer. So then they have to figure out how are you giving value back to the producer from the consumer to close the loop on that on that transaction. Uh, so that that core transaction is basically the the uh, engine that drives all these successful platforms. They typically start with one core transaction. So the example I would give of a company like Facebook, which does pretty much everything under the sun today, started out very simply. The core transaction was I come in, I create a profile with a photo, and I can connect with uh, other people in my college network that I'm friends with, and then they have to accept me. So it's a double opt-in model uh, where both sides accept the other, and that was really it. That was all Facebook did in its initial phase. All the other stuff come that came much later on, like wall posts, messaging, uh, bringing businesses in and another kind of uh, content platform dynamic. All that stuff came much later and you start with that initial core transaction and you're able to scale by building additional core transactions on top of that, uh, which is something that you see with a lot of these platform companies start out with one kind of core transaction and building network around that. And then they scale by adding in new core transactions and eventually end up as kind of almost platform conglomerates where they have a bunch of these interlocking networks uh, and core transactions that work together. Interesting. So it's really about creating, a, it's really about like optimizing the, uh, the first core transaction and then moving forward. 
bringing more and more core transactions in, in, the, in the platform business model. But uh, it, what, what I found difficult, which for me, like uh, the, the book was enlightening, is that it be, it, sometimes it's very hard to distinguish a platform business model to a, another platform business model. And actually, uh, you, have a, you have a framework for that. I mean, you, you actually uh, um, sort of uh, see the platform business model as two main categories. Uh, well, how, does, how does it work? Yeah, so the two big categories, uh, two sort of main categories for different types of platform businesses uh, we call maker and exchange platforms. Uh, the main dynamic that helps you understand the difference is maker platforms have a kind of one-to-many dynamic. So it's a broadcast dynamic where someone is, for example, creating a video on YouTube or creating an app in the App Store, and then any number of people uh, can download that. The, the concept that we use to describe this is called matching intent. So from that inventory that's being provided, how many people can use that at once in the maker platform dynamic that is a one-to-many uh, matching intent where any number of people can use the same unit of inventory. On the exchange side, uh, rather than a one-to-many connection, you have a one-to-one or at very least one, at most one-to-a-few connection where typically you're connecting directly with another party in a one-to-one manner uh, the matching intent is one-to-one or one-to-a-few. So, for example, if you write, uh, order a car on Uber, that you're do- connecting directly with the driver. That driver can't then go take 20 other ride requests at the same time. There's very often a concept of kind of limited inventory based on this with a direct connection. So this includes things like marketplaces, obviously, on the exchange side, uh, as well as investment platforms where you're matching uh, some kind of consumer with a financial product and someone providing that. Uh, also, sort of messaging platforms where you're interacting directly or social networks where you have this kind of double opt-in model similar to how Facebook originally operated where you connect with someone else and they connect back with you in order to create that connection. Whereas the, the one-to-many model, uh, where, for example, happens with content platforms, something like a Twitter, where you can follow somebody and they don't have to follow you back. It's an asymmetric connection uh, that enables this kind of one-to-many model to work. Interesting. And uh, how has actually the, the, the traditional business uh, strategy um, um, changed? Because uh, in the past, of course, we would follow Porter's five forces and we would uh, look at a way to actually create value by uh, integrating uh, the supply chain, verticalizing the supply chain so that we can, can gain as much control as possible. But I mean, how has changed? Is this uh, traditional business strategy framework still useful today? I think it's definitely useful at a high level. I think where you've started to see this change is that the, the kind of traditional frameworks like Porter's five uh, forces and the value chain are really focused on optimizing and improving linear business models where you kind of own all that value. You're providing that service directly to a customer the mental model and framework that you have to use for a platform business is very different. It's not about what you own. It's really about what can you connect and how do you generate value by connecting rather than owning everything on your balance sheet. Uh, so I think that at a high level, some of those things in terms of, you know, competition and technology and some of the other things that you see in those kind of linear business frameworks make sense, but you have to think of them in a platform context where the companies that are going to be the most successful and get the most value are ones that are connecting things rather than just owning. So in this, uh, in this scenario where uh, network effects become uh, the, a key element of, of a platform business model, how do you actually take advantage of, uh, of them, of the, those network effects? Uh, in terms of if I'm a traditional business, how would I look at doing this? 
Uh, well, more like uh, if you're uh, if you're trying more to start a platform business model rather than the, than uh, than uh, what you call a linear business model, right. how would you start taking advantage of uh, network uh, effects? Yeah, I think the the challenge early on is that those network effects, which are the part of the the great value that a platform creates at scale, and network effect essentially is the more. Uh, one type of user creates it, uh, joins the platform. So the more consumers there are, the more value uh, that network brings to each individual individual producer and vice versa. So the more producers join, the more value you have for a customer. The challenge with that is that's kind of a double-edged sword as early on, you don't have any of either group when you're first starting. So you have to figure out how do you get uh, both of these groups to join at the same time or how can you kind of, uh, at the very least, fake one side of the network uh, to get the other side to show up and then kind of go back and then actually acquire that third-party supply, for example, if you were faking the supply early on. And you know, by, by trying to hold one of these sides constant or figuring out how you can provide enough value to both sides early on to start with, then you can get this thing off the ground. And then once you start to reach that initial point where there's enough of a, a liquid network where you can actually start matching people together, and you don't have a lot of failed transactions where, for example, someone comes and can't find what they're looking for and then leaves. Uh, once you start to get to that point, which is, tends to be called kind of critical mass, uh, then that network effect starts to work for you and makes it easier to acquire customers and producers. And when you can get that, reach that point, that's when you start to scale really quickly. That's why you often have this kind of uh, hockey stick growth curve for successful platforms where it starts out very, very slowly. Uh, and then once they hit this kind of point of critical mass, it starts to take off very quickly. Interesting. And I was looking at the uh, Uber business model. Uh, and, you know, if, if you look, uh, for instance, at uh, their balance sheets and, you know, their financials and stuff, you'll notice that uh, what they uh, point out is the most valuable thing uh, as a platform business model they have is actually what, what you call the, uh, liquidity network effects. And right. you argue that over time, they're going to be able to uh, capture so much uh, value from those net networks that the company is going to become highly profitable uh, over time, even though today is not. So um, my point is, how do you actually understand when you reach uh, that critical mass? Because if you look at Uber, Uber now it's it's very large uh, company, um, at least, I mean, for, for uh, my standard of uh, thinking of a large company. So how do you understand uh, when this critical mass is, is, a, is a sort of a cheat. Yeah, I think Uber is an interesting example. So the challenge that they have is that their network effects are hyper-local in the sense that every new market that they go into, so if they go into a new city, there's very limited spillover between the existing markets they operate in and that new market. So they have to start to create much of this network from scratch uh, every time they go to a new city, which makes it very hard to scale that business uh, compared to, say, a business like Facebook, which has uh, somewhat more, uh, you know, less regional or less local network effects because people interact online with people that live, uh, you know, across all kinds of areas as well as across different types of content. Um, so it's a little less local in the sense of specific region and easier to scale that kind of business up. So Uber's challenge is that, for example, in the initial markets they operate in, so big markets like, you know, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, they actually do quite well. Uh, but where they've been spending a lot of money, in particular if you look at their financials, they spend a lot of money in China, uh, trying to launch and essentially scale the business up there from scratch when they're going in against new competitors, and they hadn't yet hit that critical mass point, which took a lot of investment for them to try to get there. Uh, eventually, they obviously, they backed out of China and have been finding this difficult to replicate in new markets. 
which is what's been pushing a lot of the red ink on their balance sheet and their income statement. Uh, so it's different stages depending on where that network is. Uh, you've kind of reached that point of critical mass typically when you start to see uh, people starting to join more organically and you've got a lot more organic traffic and your customer acquisition cost starts to go down. Um, and I think you start to see that as you go into uh, established markets with Uber where they have definitely reached that point of critical mass and sometimes will have you know, 70 plus percent market share uh, where you can see actually the incentives they've had to offer to drivers and customers have gone down uh, over time compared to what they were early on. But a lot of that, that spending that they have to do has been driven by growth uh, in new markets rather than kind of those core markets where they already have critical mass. Got it. So it's really like you were probably, it's really a particular example, as you said, because they have to start over again to inject liquidity in, in the network each time they try to go to a new new market just because, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a very localized uh, service. And uh, there is also another argument which I liked uh, a lot in the book, which is, you know, many times when people think about uh, disruptive, disruptive uh, business models, when they think of platform business models, they sort of think that uh, those uh, companies are uh, stealing uh, market shares or like from other companies. But your, your, your argument is also that actually those companies are uh, sort of creating a bigger market and rather than just getting a, an existing buy, they're making it bigger. Is that like uh, correct? I mean, did they get it right? Yeah. So a lot of what you see when these platform businesses enter the market, they're kind of lowering barriers to entry, uh, taking transaction costs out of the market. And by doing that, they start to enable uh, lots of new customers to come into the market who might not have been able to get into it otherwise. Or they also start on the supply side often to bring new sources of supply into the market and in doing so are able to kind of expand the total size of the market. So they make, uh, they make up a bigger total, uh, total, total market uh, compared to before they, so they create uh, more opportunities. So just going back to the Uber, Uber example, like uh, rather than just stealing business from taxi, the, 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 the cab industry, they actually uh, make more people take, uh, take the, 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 the uh, the service that otherwise wouldn't uh, use uh, the, the service in the first uh, the first place, and um, what's uh, what's the key difference between uh, uh, like modern monopoly to uh, compared to to an old monopoly, if there is any? Yeah, I think that the the old monopolies tended to build kind of top down and the owning all the supply, uh, so that no one else could kind of create it. They, these modern monopolies, as we call them uh, in the book, these platform monopolies. Uh, do so by owning the means of connection and essentially uh, you know, having market power by f facilitating both sides of the network. So they don't actually own the supply, but they own the means by which the supply is able to connect with the demand. Yeah. And um, the, 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 um, so it's not, it's very, it's very hard today, like even to build like modern, uh, like monopoly today, it's really not, it's very hard to control the, the whole, uh, the whole chain. So it's really, uh, as we said, about uh, creating, uh, creating those, uh, those networks. So it's, uh, I guess, whoever uh, is trying to build a company, which is going to scale over time, is going to need to actually uh, probably leave a bit of control just to allow the company to scale. And is, is a scale a key element of a platform business model? I mean, can a platform business model exist without scale? I think that scale is definitely one of the, the important aspects of the platform model. If you're talking about a small market, 
given the kind of control and easier ability to, to get that business off the ground, you would want to start a linear business. So if it's not a, a significantly sized market where you have enough supply and enough demand to uh, justify using a platform model versus a traditional model, uh, then a platform probably isn't the right fit. It typically tends to be in these uh, fairly large markets where there's a lot of uh, different sources of supply and a lot of different customers. If you have these kind of very consolidated markets or very small markets, then platforms are typically not able to get traction uh, and get enough size to, to kind of pay back the startup costs and make it worthwhile. Interesting. And um, just to uh, finish this up, um, if uh, I'm uh, building a business and trying to build like a linear business and I'm trying to build it on top of a platform business model, uh, what suggestion would you have for, for, for someone like me? So if you, if you were starting... Like, let's, say, let's say if I, if I were to start uh, just a linear business model, because of course, uh, probably over time, I'll try to scale it up. But uh, in the short term, I just want to start a linear business. Um, would they, does it make sense to actually take advantage of, uh, of a platform business model? Like for instance, uh, I know Uber has already created a market, is uh, expanding this market. Uh, does it make sense to try to build a business actually on, a, on, a, on an existing platform? Got it. So I think, I think starting up a new platform, the, the biggest challenge is always that kind of chicken and egg problem of how you get both sides of the supply at once. Uh, there, there are some ways that you can kind of cheat that problem. One is the, to uh, sort of simply just pay the supply side, for example, so you hold that constant in, in, the, in the initial stages and sort of operate as a linear business until you can build enough demand to then be able to get those third-party producers to join uh, in a platform model. Another way is if you have some kind of single user utility uh, to enable uh, you know, any consumer that comes or producer that comes, even if they're not able to connect to the other side, there's some kind of value they're getting out of that. Uh, so you know, if there's some kind of software tool or thing that you're also providing, that can be one way. Uh, another way would be looking at, uh, you know, can, can you start to uh, incentivize users to join by offering them you know, joining fees or other things that would you get a lot of credit to join up front. So you have to figure out different ways to subsidize that early participation. And if you're able to do that successfully, then eventually you can kind of dial that down over time. Uh, but, th but that initial challenge is always kind of the most difficult in terms of getting these businesses off the ground. Oh, really? Thank you very much, Nick. It was a really great, uh, uh, talk and, uh, uh, really, I, uh, I'll invite uh, the community to, to read uh, uh, Modern Monopolies because it's a great reading and it's a must read for those that are trying to understand how the platform business model works. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to the Digital Business Models Podcast created by 4WeekMBA.com, the leading source of business insights for those wanting to become digital entrepreneurs. Go to 4WeekMBA.com for more top-tier business education.